burden a little bit. All right, uh, Daniel chapter number three is where we'll be tonight, and this has been something I've been stewing on for quite a long time, and I've thought multiple times about writing a sermon about it, and every time I come back to it, it just hits me even harder again, so, well, when he mentioned it last night, I was like, this is my opportunity, this is when I'm going to talk about Daniel chapter three, and, and specifically the pressures of the world around us and how as Christians we need to stand. So the key verses for tonight is, is verse 17 and 18, and we'll read it again, so feel free to take your time to get to chapter 3. But if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your weather. I thank you so much for your word. Just the blessings that you pour on this church, Lord. I, I pray that this scripture impacts each and every one of us in a way where we can stand, Lord. Help us to get a good idea of what this message is really about. What you put this word here for us to hear, Lord. Daniel had to spend time in this exiled nation but for you to use it, Lord, and I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds to be able to, to serve you and, and serve you the way these men did. I pray that you work through me tonight, Lord. Um, I thank you for bringing this message to me and um, in a timely matter, Lord. Um, I just love you, and I thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Daniel chapter 3, but first I'm going to start with an illustration. Suppose a person went to their boss and said, Boss, I know I've been doing a sloppy job, but the reason I've been doing a sloppy job is because you haven't given me a promotion. If you would promote me, I wouldn't do a sloppy job. So I tell you what you should do is you should give me that promotion and then I'll see how I can really work. <laughs> That's really unrealistic, right? So not only would that person not receive a promotion, they would be going job hunting pretty quick. Why? Because that's not how it works. Christians many times want to give God slop and ask God for blessings. It just doesn't work. God wants faithful people, people he can actually count on. Now, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, these were men that God could count on, and they, they proved it time and time again. Read the whole book of Daniel, and you'll see such a great example of character to be emulated. Now, chapter number three is 20 years after the, the, of chapter number 20, when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream about the statue, um, which showed all of the nations that were going to lead up to uh, when Jesus came back, uh, or when he was first born. And after Daniel gave him the interpretation, he actually admitted that God was a great God. He was like, you are the God of gods. But this truth never really got to his heart. And that's what we're about to see in chapter 3. He praised Daniel and Daniel's God, but he did not repent of his sins and actually trust him. And as a result, the king tried to force the entire empire to be idol worshipers, which in the long run actually meant worshiping him, the king. So let's start at verse 1. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold whose weight was three score or height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits he set it up in the plain of dura now this plain 
is quite a vast open space. And so this towering golden tower was going to be seen for miles, okay? And this was in the province of Babylon. Verse 2, Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, verse 3 sounds like it's repetitive, but when you see this in the Bible, remember, the first, verse 2 was a list of, all the, of what he expected. Verse 3 was the response, okay? So this is an emphasis. Then the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and the rulers, all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, these are hundreds of thousands of people that all responded. They all came when, ne when Nebuchadnezzar said, come. Now, to their, <laughs> to their credit, they feared Nebuchadnezzar. They understood the re repercussions of not coming, okay? There's a lot of pressure when the most revered, like the most brutal man of that time, the nation that was feared by all nations said, you're coming and you're going to worship this, this idol I'm putting up. They, of course, were going to come. And when this king says come, they're going to come in their best. They're going to be dressed well. So, but here we look now at the three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They could not follow the king's order. They just heard the music, but they couldn't follow. Because the word tells us, and yes, this is New Testament now, but this is something that we can follow. Romans 13, 1-8 tells us to obey rulers and laws. It says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. So we are subject to the government, to the powers above us, for there is no power but of God. The great example in Daniel is how God sets kings in their position. And it was not Nebuchadnezzar that gained this power by himself, because if you look in chapter 1, it was God that allowed this to happen. God gave him the power. So, <clears throat> for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So it's our job to listen to the powers that God has ordained, right? Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou, not, will then, will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good." But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be
be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For, for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues. Anything that the government is asking of you, if you do that, render it. Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, another thing we as Christians can hold to is Acts 5.29 and 4.19, which make it clear that no Christian is to obey the Lord by obeying the government. Let me, let me read these verses, and it'll make a little bit more sense. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So, if what the government is saying goes against what God says, then what? We listen to what God says. We don't do what the government says. Okay? And that's what all of chapter 3 is about. Now, Acts 4.19 says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you, more than unto God judge ye. So, if we are to listen to you rather than God, then, then we be judged. Okay? Now, when the government tries to control our conscience and tell us how to worship, we obey God rather than human beings, regardless of the cost. Now, if we're going to die, then we're going to be with God sooner, right? I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen as Christians? We're going to see God sooner, if that's what God wants. Yeah. <clears throat> but if, if we are seen through that and get to live, then we honor God and we glorify God through it. So there's, there's nothing to worry about in that situation. It was not easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand their ground as everybody else bowed down when the music was played, but they refused to budge. Now just think about this, okay? The king, Nebuchadnezzar, just said, everybody in, in this area, all provinces, everything that's under my command, you'll come and worship this golden image, right? And it's on the plain that is out in the open, and everybody's standing, and they're, they're wonderfully beautiful garments, and they're probably all colored very similar to these flowers. They're going to be in their most colorful, beautiful robes, and they're all standing, and then all of a sudden, the music plays, and everybody is down, practically laying on their faces, except for three guys in the most colorful outfits ever, right? They're not going to hide. <laughs> so, they're easily seen. Nebuchadnezzar invited everybody, but so they're going to stand out. And some of the other wise men, which we see in verse 8 here in a second, took this as an opportunity to accuse the Jews. And the king was furious. He was so angry when he heard that his decree had been disobeyed. He's not a kind guy. He is the fly-off-the-seat-of-his-pants kind of guy. So if somebody said, had a bad hair day that day, he could decide to kill them on the spot. That was the guy he was. Like he, This is his reputation. And not only that, but they weren't just unknown three Jew guys. They were in the palace. They had already been brought up into higher positions because of Daniel. So they were known in the palace by the king. So that made him even more angry. <laughs> he wants control of his people, right? Look at verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. 
Great way to start when the king's angry. <laughs> Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over. The, the language here almost sounds kind of like when Adam blamed God for Eve in that situation in, in Genesis chapter 3. Your, these people whom you set over the affairs of the province. So, that's, so they just started by praising him. Anyway, that's regardless. They're, they're starting off a little harsh here. These Jews whom thou set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. So he's, he's fuming, right? And in a moment, we're going to see it escalate even further. So knowing that these three men were good men, this is the king, he knew them because of Daniel, and they knew he, they were friends of Daniel, he gave them another chance. He's like, okay, this, <laughs> this shows how good they were, right? Because of Daniel and his influence, the king that would normally just kill on the spot decides, I know you, you're good men, you follow God, I'm going to give you a chance here. I know you follow the God of gods, and, and you know, I've, I've acknowledged that, but let, worship me, okay? Come here, just worship me, I'll give you another chance, I won't kill you right now. So in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Now, if ye bear that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, then well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God? <laughs> this is where he made the biggest mistake. He flat out said, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? He's like, your God's not capable. <laughs> He's done this before and, and, has made, and he'll do it again later. It's surprising how he just doesn't learn. But he, he right there made a mistake by challenging God. And they, these three men, would rather burn than turn from God. That's characters that we should listen to. Now listen to what happened in verse 16 and 17. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful. In other words, we're not worried about how we're going to answer you. We're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, you could read a little further into that. He will deliver us out, whether that means he'll see us through it, or he'll take us to him. Like, we're not worried. We know who our God is, right? <clears throat> and they would not bow down. The title of my message tonight is, We Will Not Serve Thy Gods, Because They Would Not Bow Down. Now, where did they get their courage from? What made them stand instead of bowing under the pressure? Okay, imagine, so we just got the image of this entire vast group of people all laying flat on their face, and they decide to stand. What gave them the courage to do something like that? Daniel's gone. 
probably on work in, in another province or somewhere where he couldn't come back, okay? So his, their friend isn't there. They're not in Israel, or they're not in, in Judah where they were captive out of. So nobody's watching but those that are putting pressure on them. So in this situation, they could have easily said, nobody's going to know. We'll just bow down and it, that'll be the easy way out, right? No. Let's rewind back to chapter 1 when Daniel stood up for what the word said. Daniel set the example for his friends in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart. He's 14 here, okay? He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested for the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, I'll give you a little background on that. The king's meat and the wine, these were sacrificial foods and drinks that were brought to their gods. So it specifically says in Leviticus, that's not, you do not do that. So that's what the word says. Not only about that, but the portion of meat was pork, which is another no-no in Leviticus, okay? So Daniel knew what the word said, and he purposed in his heart that he was not going to do that, and he would be faithful to God's law even in a foreign land. He had the same problem. Nobody was there looking. He already heard the rumors of who Nebuchadnezzar was, and so he decided instead of defiling himself and going against what God said, because remember, we don't, if the government says to do something that's against God, we do what God says. So Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision to do that. So where did Daniel get that resolve? Let's rewind back to the ministry that influenced Daniel. Daniel's faith at this time and godly resolve must have been connected with the influence of the good King Josiah and the prophet Jeremiah. Josiah had a long reign of about 31 years, which according to our current government, that's a long time. And Daniel probably was born in the middle of his reign. In the 13th year of Josiah, the prophet Jeremiah commenced his powerful public witness and ministry, which was still continuing at Jerusalem when young Daniel was carried away into captivity. So there was a, a ministry going on there, which by worldly standards, if you, if you look at the history there, was actually a big failure outside of one thing. The influence of those two men and their godly example actually had power over Daniel. They didn't know Daniel. They didn't know what influence they were having over Daniel, and yet Daniel came out of that. That was God's plan here. And there will be times in, in your ministry, regardless of what it is, where you don't think you're accomplishing anything. But if God put you there to talk to that one friend, or maybe you are leading a Bible study, or in a job where you're leading the example by you know, praying, or, or whatever it is, living a in a godly way, then God is working through you even if you don't see it. That's what happened with Daniel. Now, remember, there's always a Daniel watching and listening regardless of where we are. If we don't think we're having an impact, then you're wrong. We need to be the godly influence in their life, whether we know them or not. Um, and you also never know what influence you have over others. Maybe you're like me and you think you don't have someone in your life that's been that example to you. You could easily sit there and say, well, I didn't have a Josiah or a Jeremiah in my life. But let me tell you that God has given us his word to be an example to us. He says he's our father, right? So if we are missing that father figure or that, that leader in our life, that's God. And the Bible is just packed with examples of how we are to live and, and 
how he loves us and how we can get through the problems. I mean, it's time and time again. And you might also be saying, I've read the Bible and just don't see it, but you're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading then. <laughs> because it's full of it. And, I, and it's just amazing. Every day I'm blown away when I'm reading the Bible and how it connects to something else or, or God, I'm just struggling with something that morning and God's like, here's your answer. Like, I've done this for them, so I'm going to do this for you. It's just peace of mind. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what the word what God's word said. They knew what God had promised. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when thou, this is literally what they went through. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. How awesome is that? And they knew that. They knew the word. And they held on to that promise. Look at verse 18. If, you're, if you moved back in chapter 3, verse 18. But if not, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Another verse that they cling, clung to is Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. Who are they surrounded by? The heathen. I will be exalted among them. I will be exalted in the earth. Isaiah 41.10, this is my verse. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. God is great. And they knew God was great. 1 Corinthians 2.4 shows us how great he is and his might is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2.4 says, And my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of, and of power. Now, the whole reason I put this in here is that word power, okay? That's deutimus. This is the same power that Jesus mentioned in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, can't I just bring down the legions right now and just end this if I wanted to? Those legions, hundreds of thousands of angel warriors in his command at all times. Now, if that's the power behind our speech and, and our ministry, right there fighting with us, spiritual battles, and it's the same power that, that Jesus had control of, and Jesus has been since the beginning, and Jesus is the Word, then they knew that they had so much power behind them because God was with them. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Yes, that's first, you know, New Testament, but they knew that. <laughs> they, and we should know that. There's nothing that we're going to face in our life, no government that's going to put pressure on us, no no people, nothing that's ever going to have power over us that God's not going to see us through in some way. Amen. He has a plan, and, and he's going to make a way of escape. So what are we ashamed of? Are we ashamed of God? If we aren't saying something in the workplace or to a friend, then in a way, yes, we're too ashamed to say something. We're too afraid of what the repercussions will be. Daniel stood up for what God said. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood up for what God said, and Daniel prayed later down in, in a few chapters, regardless of the edict not to pray to any other god or any other king other than Nebuchadnezzar, or, or the king of that time. 
They knew that no matter what the outcome, God was going to take care of them, whether that meant keeping them from going into the fire or making it through the fire or even dying, they were going to obey God, not this king. Now let's look at verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. So he was angry, but now he is, he's at the peak of his anger. They, <laughs> they just refused again and, and flat out told him, we won't do it. So now he's full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now that form of his, his visage was changed. Have any of you been like verbally abused before, had somebody scream in your face or watched it happen? on something like they turn purple and they're spit flying, that kind of stuff. I've personally experienced that. That is what's happening here. His face started turning colors and his veins were popping. Like that's how furious he was. So, and when you're in that state, you don't think clearly because look at what he does now. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it won't be heated. So. Instead of the slow roast you to death, it's going to be so hot you'll be incinerated like that. Like, that's not his typical torture method. That's, that's actually mercy in a, in a strange way, but he wasn't thinking that way. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the, fly, the fire slew those men that took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was so hot that when they walked up there to throw them in, they were just incinerated. <laughs> That's how hot this was. To give you a visual image here. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now, there's three promises that, that stand out in this story. The first promise is the promise of persecution. We should know this as Christians. Christians should expect the furnace of persecution if they are wholly dedicated to Christ, okay? 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. It's going to happen. The world hates us, and Satan sees to it that the furnace gets stoked up seven times hotter. And of course, the three Jews here could have made excuses and gone along with the crowd. They could have bowed down. They could have done any of that and, and said that nobody is going to see this. Instead, they stood with one another and with the Lord, trusting God to glorify himself either, either by their life or by their death regardless. They were servants of God. Now listen, we need to expect the persecution. God promised it. Philippians 1.29 says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's not good news, but <laughs> we're suffering with Christ, and, and he conquered the sufferings. He will give us the same conquerings, right? John 15, 18-20 says, If the world hate you, which it does, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, that is such a great thing. He's chosen us out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember 
the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now, the second promise, the promise of preservation. So it gets better. God will never forsake his own, especially when they go through the fiery trial. He may not keep us out of the furnace. I can say from experience, he won't keep me out of the furnace. But he will go with us and bring us through his glory. Remember what Isaiah 43, 2 says? God promised that when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. When the king looked into the furnace, what did he see? Was it the three men he sent in? No. Look at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. He was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Then answered and said unto the king, True, O king. They were like, What are you talking about? Like, yeah, we just saw it. You just saw it. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. How interesting that, how would he even know that? <laughs> it's the, he called him the Son of God. That's Jesus. It's capitalized right there. Son of God. All caps, right? So that is Jesus walking in the midst with them, seeing them through it. He saw four men, and one of them was Jesus. Jesus walked with them. He loosed their bonds. He kept them from being harmed, just like he promised. And in fact, they did not even smell of the fire when they came out. I can roast marshmallows in the back with Jaren and smell like it for a day. <laughs> like, I smell like the fire. But they were in a fire that was so hot that it incinerated the guys that brought them there. And yet they didn't even smell like it or look like they were in a fire or near one. Daniel 3.26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God. So now he's changing his tune a little bit, right? Come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire, and the princes, governors. Now remember, these are all the people he called here that are witnessing this, right? There's a reason they all came. The princes, governors, and captains, and the kings and the counselors being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. <laughs> Talk about bringing God some glory, right? Nor was an hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire <clears throat> had passed on them. What was the secret? It was their faith. Hebrews 11, 30 through 34, the chapter of faith, right? The hall of faith. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel, and of the prophets, and who through faith subdued kingdoms, who wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. This is later down the road. That was Daniel. Stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Man, read chapter 11 in, in Hebrews. 
this is just examples of how God uses your faith in every single way. He, there's so much power behind it. His entire army is there fighting amazing battles for you that you don't see, but he, it's happening, right? And, and one day, our faith will be written down somewhere. I guarantee when we go to heaven, we're going to see some amazing things about people's faith that we didn't get to see until it's all revealed to us. Now, the third promise is the promise of promotion. Now, remember the idea of not doing anything to get promoted that I, I started off with? Well, that doesn't work. But these men were better off for having gone through the fire. They chose to do something. They chose to act on their faith. For one thing, it allowed them to walk with Christ and suffer with him. That's much better than having bowed down and feeling the guilt of not following God. I mean, they, God could have just said, I'm sorry, I'm done using you. I will use somebody else because you chose to go with the world instead of with me. But they chose him. They walked with Christ and suffered with him. It is worth danger and trial to know how near the Lord can be to us. The fire set them free from their bonds, just as suffering for Christ today gives us joyful liberty from sin and from the world. Their experience glorified God before others. The entire, everything in that nation was there. Everybody was there, and they all saw it. In other words, God got the glory in front of the entire nation. Like, that's amazing. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and, hear ye, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we're called to the same thing. We are to glorify God with everything we do. So what did the king do next? Did he try to kill them again? <laughs> no. And look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So now, just like in chapter 2, he's praising God, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him and have changed the king's word. You've changed my mind <laughs> and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, every nation and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. No God can do this but this God. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So the king promoted them and gave them honors instead of trying to kill them again. Now, so first was the suffering, which they were willing to do because they knew God had them and promised to see them through it, regardless of how that turned out. But then there was glory, right? 1 Peter 5.1 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. But the God of all grace, in verse 10, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect. Your suffering makes you perfect. Establish, strengthen, or strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, God wants faithful people. He wants people he can count on. He wants to use you. Will you step out in faith tonight? Not walk out of here, but choose to serve God 
regardless of the pressure that's out there, because God is calling you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. Why do you think he gave us the Bible? To give us example after example after example of how we can trust him, because he proves it every single time. He promises, he follows through. He's not a promise breaker. He's a promise maker and a promise fulfiller. So don't bow down under the pressure of the world around you, but stand in faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No matter the trials we may face, whether it be cancer, losing a job, losing a loved one, losing a friend, whether it's a pandemic or persecution or any other trial this world can send our way in order to make us bow down, we must stand knowing God is with us because we need to give him the glory and we must say, we will not serve thy gods. Amen. And that's all I got.